Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Have you ever considered building your own sales playbook? Are you struggling with adoption of best practices and sharing within your team? Did you know that sales playbooks can actually increase sales success and drive accountability? This episode is brought to you by our latest ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Creating and Managing a Sales Playbook. In it, you'll find a step-by-step model for creating a sales playbook for your business. You can go ahead and grab a copy today, and you'll find a link to that in today's show notes at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 187. Our theme this month in September is on sales playbooks and how they are an essential part of improving your sales process. Here on the podcast, we are talking to all of our guests about it, and you can check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog for more information and advice for you and your team. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today I have a wonderful guest that I am looking forward to sharing with you. He is the co-founder and CRO of a company called Blissful Prospecting, which is a company that helps business-to-business sales reps, small to medium-sized businesses, and nonprofits create sustainable revenue growth. He is a prolific speaker. He has been on just about every podcast around, and he co-founded his company with his wife, Sarah, who is the COO of the company. I always love to see a family business like that. Um, As a uh, fun fact, in college, he actually built a six-figure business painting houses. So he is based in lovely Austin, Texas. I kind of wish I was there right now. Um, Our guest today is Jason Bay. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Jason. Thank you for having me on and I appreciate the intro. All right. Well, I just shared obviously some kind of facts um, as highlights of your bio, but I know people are more than just their resume. So can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Maybe share a little bit about where your passion for business began, kind of where you started selling, um, some of the key stops along the journey to where you are today. Yeah, sure. It's it's interesting because my my wife Sarah, she has and we just had a couple of friends over a few days ago that also are a husband and wife run business. So that seems to be kind of a, a rare thing. But they are all sharing stories about entrepreneurial and salesy, you know, type of things that they did growing up, you know, the lemonade stand type of story, uh, and that's and that sort of thing. And I actually never did those things as a child. I I never thought of myself as a salesperson. I didn't want to get into sales. I never thought of myself as a business owner either. Mm -hmm. So when I went to college, I actually wanted to study forensic science because I watched a lot of CSI. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I have a sister who did the same thing. (laughs) It's nothing like the TV shows, by the way. You know, it's like the people in the TV shows, they do like five different jobs um, in one, and it's just not how it works. But the way I heard about uh, College Works Painting, which is that company I ran the house painting business through, and it was essentially kind of like a, sort of like a franchise, was someone just came into my classroom and talked about, hey, do you want to run a business, learn some you know, business skills, build your resume, and you know, our average uh, person makes $10,000 over the summer. So I was like, awesome. You know, I'll do anything besides stacking wood on a cart for 60 hours a week, which is what I did the summer before to make Definitely. money for college. So that was sort of you know, my foray into entrepreneurship and what I quickly realized is that a lot of even though I was introverted and that was a big other misconception that I had was that I thought you had to have the gift of gap you know to be a good salesperson mm-hmm. and Very it turns out idea. that the greatest salespeople are the best listeners <laughs> right and the best question askers so I learned how to sell 
through that company by going door to door. And a lot of that was, you know, how to start opportunities from scratch, how to talk to people that don't know who you are, probably don't know who your company is. And that was really interesting to me. And what got me really interested in sales was I just started getting really curious, you know, why would someone hire me, an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid with braces, versus (laughs) hiring someone that's been painting houses or doing construction for 20 years? And oftentimes our prices were higher than theirs too. So why would they hire me? And I started asking a lot of those questions and that's what got me really interested in sales and that sort of thing because I actually got to do it. And I think a lot of you know, career choices are like that, right? You just got to actually do something and you figure out it's a lot different than what you hear about on TV or, or see in the news or read in articles and that sort of thing. But that's, that's how I got involved in sales. Definitely. I love that. And I think that's such an important discovery. You had a couple of discoveries over time. First of all, that discovery that what we think of as traditional sales is not usually what it takes to be successful in selling. It is not necessarily that you have to be the most charming, outgoing kind of um, person, but instead we see quite often that we have quiet people, introspective people, thoughtful um, people who can be very effective at selling. And and obviously outgoing people can as well, but um, it's all about connecting to people. And you can connect through that charm and through being outgoing, or you can connect by asking really good questions and actually connecting with them on what's important to them. And both of those can be equally effective. So that's a a wonderful discovery that you made all the way back in college. Yeah, I agree on that 100%. I'm very fortunate to have really good mentors early on that sort of taught me the ropes when it comes to this stuff. But I think that's such an important sales lesson is learning you know, what prospects are actually interested in, in leading with those things and leading with their challenges or frustrations. And in the case of house painting, it was, hey, did you notice you have some peeling paint on your fascia board up there? (laughs) You know, and most people (laughs) didn't know. So you have a need and a frustration if they know about it. And you're leading with that versus trying to sell your stuff. And that's probably one of the most important prospecting lessons that I could ever share. And what we always say is, you know, don't, prospect to make a sale, prospect to start a conversation. And then make sure you're starting conversations with you know, qualified prospects, obviously. And that was another hard lesson I learned where, you know, if you just go to a house that's falling apart and needs paint, that doesn't mean that they're going to want an estimate or be able to hire you. <laughs> you know, so need is a part of it, but also looking where people are likely to say yes to you and, and can say yes to you and have the budget, you know, is also another thing to look at as well. Definitely. I think um, those are really important lessons. And that really leads into what I wanted to talk to you about next, which is I mentioned in the intro that in September, we are focused on why teams need a sales playbook. Um, And I know you are all about prospecting. And um, obviously, the name of your company, Blissful Prospecting. I think a lot of people wish prospecting were blissful for them and their companies. (laughs) So um, one of your biggest things is email outreach and how that's that's a key part of prospecting. So why is prospecting such a key component in a sales playbook? And what do you think are the key kind of elements of prospecting that should be included in a sales playbook for an organization? Yeah, this is a really great question. And... I mean, you make sales playbooks at your company, so you get to see what is in a sales playbook. And my guess is you probably do it different than a lot of other people do. And the ones that I've seen created in-house tend to lack the prospecting part of the mm-hmm. playbook entirely. It's, you see that uh, too. it's sort of a secondhand thought of, hey, 
Uh, go to networking events to find prospects. Go to these trade shows. Um, if we need lists, here are the brokers that we can buy them from, and here's the here's what to say in a script when you're doing a cold call. There isn't really very much thought put into it, in my experience, at least with the playbooks that I've seen, that go beyond that. And the reason why the outbound prospecting function is such a key part of the sales playbook is that and I'm really curious actually to see in what you have to say in your work, but do you find that more companies have an opening problem or a closing problem? I 100% believe it's an opening problem. And this is something yeah. that we're seeing over and over and over again. You know, there are not many companies that could not stand to see at least some level of improvement in their close rate. And that is a yeah. good thing to focus on. But if the top of your funnel is narrow, Every single deal that comes in is critically, critically important. People get desperate. They they get yeah. emotionally attached to sales breath, every as they call deal. It. Absolutely, <laughs> and and it's it's really it doesn't work. And instead, if you have a wide funnel and you've got all kinds of leads coming in, you have the opportunity to be picky and choosy. And you can pick the ones that are best for your business. And you can come in with a sense of, you know what, I wanna do business with you, I, I know I could help you, but if you don't see that right now, or if you don't have budget, or if there's some other reason we can't work together, that's perfectly fine, I'm not gonna chase you down. And it's always that opening problem that they have, but you're right, people don't include that in their sales playbooks. Yeah, it's crazy. and. You know, a really good analogy is is dating. You know, imagine you know, if you're single and you're dating and you have one date lined up in the future, you're just unconsciously gonna be a little more desperate uh, <laughs> for that person's approval. That's just how human nature works versus going in and saying, am I going to like this person? That's a completely different place to be in, especially when you're selling is, you know, is this a qualified prospect? You can qualify the prospect too and not feel like, you're subject to, you know, their pricing that they want, or for you to do things in a very specific way that's maybe out of scope for you too. So, I think the biggest thing is if you have a fat pipeline, uh, the the big part of that is that the mentality I think is really the biggest thing for your reps is they're going to be mm -hmm. less desperate and that sort of thing. And the other part that is really important is that. And what I love about sales is it's fairly repeatable. You know, most of the, obviously you're not gonna say the same exact thing to every prospect that you talk to on a sales call, but your process is fairly repeatable. How you start a call, Definitely. how do you set the agenda, how you dig through their pain points, how you advance them to the next stage in your sales process, how you follow up. Prospecting is the same exact way. And the big thing that we're really focusing on is trying to remove the mystery of prospecting and what to say. So. To get to the other part of your question of what should it include, um, there's, a, there's a couple of really big things. So we break up the prospecting portion of the playbook into three parts. It's targeting, messaging, and then execution. So mm -hmm. the targeting component is very, and again, I'm really curious because you work with a lot of different companies, what you see, because in my experience, even some of the larger companies don't really have like really clear ideal client profiles and personas built. And what I mean by that is, so an ideal client profile has to be something that you can then take and approach a list broker or preferably you're building your own list, but you can use in Sales Navigator or Apollo or whatever you're using to aggregate contact data and do these account-based searches. It has to have criteria that you can actually tangibly look for. And by that, I mean, employee accounts, industries, technology that they're using. It could be things that you pick up off their website, number of retail locations, whatever the criteria is, 
I don't really see that spelled out very clearly in most companies. And they tend to have a, you know, the huge red flag for me is our solutions industry agnostic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and okay, uh, granted, yeah, your solution could work for a lot of different industries, but if you can really create specialization within those industries, you're going to start having very specific tailored messaging. So to give you an example, you shared uh, earlier, we work with nonprofits. So a nonprofit does corporate development. They want to reach out to other companies that they want to partner with. So there's this prospecting function. Now, when I prospect to nonprofits, I don't use the same language that I do to prospect to a professional services company because Definitely. nonprofits care about impact and they talk about fundraising and prospecting. They don't call that outbound. They don't call they don't really even really use prospecting. They say corporate development. So if you're not if I didn't have those in blissful prospecting as an ideal client profile of ours, I wouldn't have this playbook that I can that I could continually iterate on so that the messaging becomes more and more specialized. It's so specific with nonprofits that we have different prospecting messaging. I have a different call, like a a sales uh, call template and workflow. The follow-up emails after those calls are different. The content I share with them when I follow up is very specific to nonprofits. And that's how niche you wanna get. And it starts with targeting, you know, to sort of bring that full circle. You gotta have clear ideal client profiles and the personas can't be marketing type personas either. As salespeople, yeah, we deal with prospects on a one-to-one basis, not a one-to-many basis. So, and again, I'm curious, Elizabeth, your take on this too. Uh, to me, a bad persona is all of the, like, you know, so-and-so is approximately this old and they wake up at this time in the morning and they have a 25 <laughs> minute commute. Like that stuff doesn't really matter, I don't think with B2B, B2B is, hey, what's this person's role? What are their responsibilities? What are the challenges that they run into that intersect with how you can help them, right? Definitely. Who do they deal with inside their company? Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on all of that? Like, what are you what are you seeing when you do this? Absolutely, I think first of all, we often see, just like it sounds like you do, that the only ideal client profiles that are developed are developed by marketing, if they have them at all. And um, it is a different way of looking at things. And a lot of times we see that if there is any sort of ideal client profile, it's so broad as to be useless. And it's really important to think of at an organizational level who makes up that ideal target. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, like you said, something you didn't mention, but, but I think can be key, especially in a larger sales team. Within that, is there even an area that an individual might focus on? Like, for example, you target both nonprofits and um, and professional services companies. Over time, as your company grows, you might have one person on the team who targets nonprofits and somebody else yeah. who targets professional services. And to figure out, you know, what are the tools that I have? You could even have an entire team that's selling to one target versus another. Um, so that you build up that expertise. You have that common language with your prospects. You know what the buzz is in their industry. Um, and the more connection you have to that target, the better you can do that. But if you're targeting everybody in the world, you can't know all the buzzwords in the world. You can't know all of the trends that are happening. And so you're really actually decreasing your ability to be effective with anybody because you're spreading your net way too wide. Yep. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. And even if you're a company like Salesforce and you're huge and you have the budget and the ability to be able to have this really wide net, um, if you just come across as a really generic solution, most really 
you know, industries and especially people in these jobs, you know, it's very specialized what they do. And uh, John Barrows says this a lot where, you know, marketing creates content, sales provides context. So uh, (laughs) if I had to borrow that from him, that would be the sales portion of that is like you're creating context with your messaging. And if you're not doing that, people just aren't going to relate. Like empathy is such a big piece that I've had to really learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. And if you don't in that targeting portion, think about who the personas are and like what challenges they're dealing with. There's no possible way that you could ever empathize with them. And if you don't empathize with people, they're not going to really feel a very good connection with you. And they're not going to want to hop on a call. They're not going to be receptive to your cold call. Mm-hmm. They're not going to want to talk about how you can help them if they don't feel like you can you know a little bit about what it's like to walk in their shoes. And what you can do, even if you're in a large organization and you've got marketing content that's developed, that is a little more generic, that's more applicable across the spectrum. If as a sales rep, you can provide somebody with some of that information, but tailor it to them, whether you're customizing a deck or whether you're saying, you know, we have a lot of different eBooks, but I think this one is most applicable to you. And I would encourage you to check out page 23 because that we find people in your industry find the most value in and actually guiding prospects to the right content that you have. If you've got that kind of marketing content is a huge way to provide that context for them. So they see that you understand what their problems might be, what their concerns might be and are kind of already customizing your sales approach. Because if you're customizing your sales approach, they're going to think you would probably customize, you know, the approach in working with me. And, and they get a sense that you care yeah. about them as an individual. Absolutely. The The last part that I would add to the targeting piece is, hey, you have ICPs and you have personas is some sort of um, workflows and consistency around customer interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is one thing I see that's really overlooked. And we didn't start actually doing this until a few months ago. But when we do prospecting for a client, um, and also when we're doing consulting and building these playbooks, we'll interview their clients. And it not only helps us get a better idea of what's going on, but a lot of times that language and that empathy, it can't really come unless you're speaking in their language. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can really do that is to interview these people and ask them, what their pain points are and get get it in their language get how they find value and what you're doing get that in their language that's the copy that you should be using in your content and on your website and in your email copy if you're sending cold emails in your cold calls like you should be leading with things in their language definitely it's amazing how often you know even we see this obviously as a as a sales growth partner with our clients if they call sales business development and we keep calling it sales, even if we win the business and we start to work with them, it's just gonna be this constant source of frustration and tension between us of just like, why are you using that word that we don't use? And so we'll customize (laughs) all of our training materials. And if they prefer the term business development, we will change it. So we're talking about business development because there's no sense in putting a word in between you and somebody else that doesn't need to be there. And a lot of times we're actually creating these artificial barriers between us and our prospects just out of some sense of, I don't know, stubbornness or or something else. Yeah. And it, it really doesn't need to be there. Yeah, I agree. Like it, So one of the things, uh, do you know who Donald Miller is over at StoryBrand? Have you heard of yes. what they're doing? Yes. So one of the things I love about their approach in general is you make the customer the hero. Mm-hmm. So that's a 
sort of a good mindset to have to overcome that stubbornness is your product or your solution is not the hero. It's to make the customer the hero. So put your ego aside and however you like saying things or referring to things, that doesn't really matter because you're not the one buying your product or your, or your solution. Make the customer the hero. Definitely. And everybody loves to be a hero. Everybody loves to win. And so yep. if you can actually set somebody up to do that, um, that's going to make you so much more appealing to them. And a lot of times we, I don't know why we do this, but we get caught up in our own story and we get caught up in our own journey that we're on. And when it's, you know, sales should be about solving problems for other people and connecting to other people. And yep. you have to kind of put yourself to the side and then guess what? You actually end up winning, you know, it works out, but you, you've got to approach it kind of from that different mindset. Yep. So, I know this is a really long-winded answer to your original <laughs> question. <laughs> so that's sort of the targeting piece that you should look at is, who am I reaching out to? Who are these people? What are their challenges, fears, et cetera? Mm -hmm. And then you actually have the material that would make for good messaging. So messaging and really what you need in a playbook is things that, you know, when I think of playbook, I think of football, right? You have these plays that you can run in specific situations. So the playbook you know if we're going to go along with that analogy here in messaging is i need to have something that works if i'm reaching out to someone cold i need to have stuff that works if i find some sort of sales triggers right maybe they're hiring whatever it might be and that's a good trigger that they're going to need your product or service um, i need if someone signs up on our website right and it's more of like an inbound you know type of prospecting because that takes a lot of follow-up sometimes as well so with the messaging it's really a couple different core components and really we wrap this up in in two ways here so the cadence structure and the tools that you're using is important to look at so you should be using at least two channels mm -hmm. uh, for prospecting ideally you're using three or more and insidesales.com has a lot of great studies on the sales loft you know all these sales engagement platforms that have millions of sequences run through their system will tell you that you know prospecting's over double the effectiveness if you use two channels. So try not to do just email or just phone, at least mix those two together. And if you could throw a third one in, that would be social. So doing stuff on LinkedIn. And then the other big part that we spend a lot of time on is what we came up with called the reply method, mm -hmm. which is a framework for how to come up with that messaging and a structure and what that should say so that you have something you can plug and play into an email it works uh, fairly effectively on the phone if you're leaving a voicemail, cold call, whatever it might be. And then, you know, one-to-one -one personalized videos, which is how I reached out to you, actually, is how we got connected. Um, so, you know, sending videos to people, too. So what to say in that 30 to 60-second snippet. Um, so that's that's the really the big part, I would say, is the reply myth that kind of wraps all of that together. Definitely. There's just so much wisdom in what you said, and I would encourage anybody who... Um who uh, didn't listen carefully and didn't capture that, go back and rewind <laughs> because there was a lot of a lot of great information there. But um, I, I just cannot agree enough. I cannot emphasize more strongly how critically important it is to build this foundation of prospecting. Because so often we see that people are just told prospect. You know, um, it's a cliche, but you know, here's the phone book. Um, yeah. Go. Make more cold calls. Yeah. Yes. And that that's, 
certainly you might get something out of it. Um, you know, I, I don't want to bash anybody who, who that's the instruction they were given. But if instead you can build this foundation of understanding who it is you're going for and then what messaging is going to actually relate um, to them and engage them and what are the different channels you can use. And by the way, when you've got a multi-channel approach, how can you leverage other people on your team? You know, you might have um, some things that sales does and some things that marketing does and working together. And if you don't build this foundation, you're just kind of setting off on your own in any random direction. Obviously, you're not going to be as successful. And that's really not fair to a sales team to expect them to be successful when you're not supporting them by building um, a foundation of effective prospecting. Yeah, it really isn't. I mean, I, I look at it, yeah, I like to use a lot of fitness and exercise analogies. And it, it, it would be like, you know, if, if the sales manager or, or director is leading, um, you know, CrossFit class or some sort of, uh, you know, organized you know, exercise class. Actually, my my wife, Sarah, made me go to a Pilates class Ooh. the other day. And Pilates is, is very hard. That's what I've heard <laughs> but, about. Uh, good, but hard. <laughs> It's like that little torture machine in there and you do all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, for 50 minutes. But it would be like someone leading a Pilates class and then everyone is doing their own thing. But the person that's leading the class is trying to get the everyone to accomplish a particular goal. It could be losing weight, whatever it is, but everyone's doing their own thing. And if everyone worked together and had a system and did the things that would help them accomplish their goals of losing weight and showed up to the gym with a purpose, Obviously, you'd lose weight faster, right? You'd hit your fitness goals. And a lot of the time, the way we approach this is like, hey, it's the equivalent of saying, hey, you need to lose 10 pounds. Good luck, dude. Yeah. You know, diet and exercise, duh. You know, <laughs> all you got to do is diet and exercise. Well, if it were that easy, we wouldn't be have an epidemic, you know, obesity crisis in America, right? So that direction, you have to provide that to your salespeople. Usually people, in my experience, are not going to start doing these things by themselves. It's a job that they have, right? And they're going to do whatever works right now because they have a lot of pressure to hit quota. And they're just going to do whatever's working in the moment. So if you could step back and do a little bit of this work for your salespeople and teach them some of this stuff and have this playbook, it's going to take care of a lot of that that work for you so you don't feel like you're taking them off the sales floor you know, to do a ton of development. Definitely. And that's a really key element as well, because so much of this really can and should be done by leadership, not necessarily yep. by salespeople. Certainly, you don't want to ignore salespeople and you don't want to, um, you know, just develop messaging independent of them and kind of roll it out like, here you go. <laughs> you know, they, yep. they're the ones who have a lot of conversations with prospects. They can inform this. But if you can do some analysis work on, you know what, who are our ideal clients? Which are the kinds of opportunities that tend to work out the best? Whether it's because they have a better close ratio or because they have a better profit margin or some other reason. You know, they, they provide better testimonials. Um, what are the, the different kinds of messaging that we are able as an organization to support and to help the sales team with? And if management yep. kind of takes the lead here, that's a huge burden that you're taking off your sales team and really making their life just much easier. Yeah, and you can approach it the same way you would approach, you know, client acquisition and getting good case studies. You know, especially when you're starting out, if you're in a startup, you know, getting those first big case studies are huge. Mm -hmm. And if you're in an organization where you're working with a lot of different industry verticals, like industry specific case studies are big too. But you can approach the same way when you're working with your sales team 
create a champion mm-hmm. on your sales team. And then you can make an internal case study out of that. So-and-so is doing exactly, that's how you create buy-in to the playbook. So-and-so is following this exactly. And guess what? We're incorporating a lot of his or her um, ideas and templates and messaging styles and, and their workflows into here. And you're crowdsourcing a lot of this information based on what's working for people too. And again, that's the, that's the best way to create buy-in where it's not like a, hey, you need to do this because we created this playbook and we haven't sold in several years <laughs> or aren't doing it on a daily basis like you guys are. You can crowdsource a lot of that information and create a lot of really great buy-in by creating champions on your team. Absolutely. You know, the method that we actually use to create the playbook is to create a cross-functional group that includes obviously representation from sales, but other departments as well. And it's only when they have that sense of ownership because they've been involved from the beginning that they end up um, actually effectively adopting and using the tool. Because if you just, Mm -hmm. again, roll in like trying to be the hero, you're like, hey guys, I built a sales playbook for you. Yeah. Do you really think they're going to use that? Do you really think that they're going to feel like it? Um, it's adding value to them? And so it's so incredibly important to um, have people involved from the very beginning so they take that ownership and really, um, really, you know, feel a sense that, it, first of all, it, it, it drives adoption. But second, you actually end up with better content because guess what? They know stuff <laughs> and they actually are able to contribute. Yep. Yeah. Working in a silo, I think is one of the worst things that you can do. And it's something that when Sarah and I are putting together this stuff, you know, we really make sure to do a lot of stuff together with our team. So it's not just me writing messaging copy for a client. We're doing it together and we're coming up and talking out loud uh, through a lot of these ideas so that we're not working in a silo with one person's perspective. Definitely. And that does a couple of things. First of all, you get better content because you're breaking down those walls, but you're also lifting everybody up because you'll come up with something that nobody else would have thought of. And then next time they'll be able to build on that idea that you came up with last time. And so you're just consistently improving everybody's skills by working on all of this together. Um, Because if you, if you just sent everybody off into a room, you know, Hey, I want you to write two marketing emails. Hey, I want you to write two other um, emails. I want you to write two other emails. You're not going to get that sense of building stuff. Now, certainly some work does need to be done by one person or a very small group. But again, when you're at that brainstorming stage, really getting lots of people involved, um, you're going to end up with a lot better content and, and stronger connection to it. Definitely. So love that. And I definitely recommend um, anybody who's listening who feels like they're struggling with this piece, especially with um, really just driving that top of funnel, check out Jason's website, check out that reply methodology, because there's a lot there that um, that you can apply uh, just to, to improve those areas. Something else that we like to talk about, Jason, in a way that I, I hope we add value to our listeners is by sharing um, ideas and best practices and books and recommendations for them. So first of all, I'd love if you could share, um, I know you're a big reader because you include um, summaries of business books on your website. So what are some of your favorite sales or business-related books? Yeah, sales, especially prospecting, is interesting for books because like, we're really trying as a business to focus more on the evergreen part of selling. Mm-hmm. I believe the messaging, for the most part, is an evergreen thing that gets translated into different mediums and channels as technology progresses and social media, whatever, right? So 
books are very hard to recommend. So <laughs> I have very few uh, prospecting books that I would recommend. Uh, and it depends on really where you're at. So in podcasts, I believe are the best resource. So podcasts like yours, I love Make It Happen Mondays with John Barrows is another really good one. Anything that saleshacker.com puts out, you're going to get a lot of really good crowdsourced industry information. In terms of books, there's really two that I recommend. If you're just getting started with sales development or outbound or prospecting at your company, the sales development playbook by Trish Bertuzzi, um, what they're doing at the Bridge Group is awesome. I mean, they do a lot of studies yes, and they actually look at teams with SDRs and teams that are prospecting and what's working for them, what isn't, what technology they use. So you're going to get a lot of great information. I mean, she wrote the book on sales development. You know, that, that is the one to check out if you're getting into this. And then another one I really like is Predictable Prospecting by Mary Lou Tyler. And she is the co-author of Predictable Revenue, which her and Aaron Ross wrote you know, back in the day when they were doing a bunch of really cool stuff with uh, Salesforce, who kind of, I wouldn't say they pioneered, but they kind of popularized doing outbound in this account-based way. Mm -hmm. So Predictable Prospecting is much more technical and it's much more process-oriented. So if you're looking for step-by-step -step ways to create a prospecting campaign and to come up with messaging, her background is actually as a developer. I believe as a developer or an engineer, probably an engineer. Uh, but she's very technical, so everything is very systems-oriented. So if you're a little bit more advanced and you're already doing a lot of this prospecting, you're really gonna like predictable prospecting. Definitely, definitely. I love that. And I like that you recommended a lot of different um, you know, whether it's a website, whether it's publications, research studies, books, podcasts, you know, figure out the sources of information that um, that are going to have a mix of that good content, but also in a way that resonates with with whoever you are as a as a learner, because some of us prefer to listen to things. Some people really want to read something. Some people want to read yep. something digitally and some people want a physical book in their hands. And um, sometimes you do need to stretch yourself outside your comfort zone if the information you need isn't going to be conveyed in your preferred format. But um, there is so much information out there that, that you're generally able to find something that works for you. I love that. Great recommendations. One other quick thing I would say, mm -hmm. just because I've gone through this personally, is with prospecting, don't look for don't look for email templates. That's not what's going to help you. If you're just regurgitating an email template that you found on <laughs> Mailshake.com, it's not going to work. And guess what? Thousands of other people are going to say the same exact thing. So just be be cognizant of that. Approach it the same way you would with sales in understanding how sales works and the psychology and the methods and you know the sort of fundamentals of sale prospecting is the same exact thing. It's it's a skill. So look for a broad understanding. And the best way to do it is, you know, targeting, messaging, and execution. Like I said, look for things that are going to help you target people more effectively, send the right messaging to them, and then to execute, you know, what that daily workflow looks like. Look at it a little bit more broad than the than getting the, the latest cold email template. Definitely. Now, I think we've already kind of led into this topic, but hopefully you'll have at least one more recommendation. So um, we always ask our guests to provide at least one actionable tip that listeners can apply to their lives and to their businesses. Do you have an actionable tip that you would recommend for our listeners? Oh, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> I would say one really quick one is interview, do customer interviews. Mm -hmm. That's number one 
that's going to help you out the most is doing those customer interviews. The second tip that I would have just to share something new here is don't treat prospects equally. Mm -hmm. So the biggest mistake that I see is people spending the same amount of effort going after every type of prospect. So the way that this comes out uh, is really you should be using a sales engagement platform of some sort. So a sales loft, outreach, mix max, whatever you're using. And that helps you identify when people are opening emails. So the way that we approach cold calling, for example, is more of a warm call. So if we send out 100 emails in a week, and let's say you have a 50% open rate, typically those 50 people that open it, there's going to be 10% of those or so that open the emails a lot. They might open them a half a dozen times in a week because they're forwarding it around. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that I call first. Definitely. And those are the people that I send personalized videos to first too. So don't treat every prospect equally. And you can also prioritize based on the personas. So if you know that your best persona to go after is a VP of sales, don't spend as much time going after directors or sales managers, or if you're going after different departments, like know your personas down to, you know, hey, what are A priority personas, B and C, and like what are the ones to avoid and spend all of your extra effort and personalization on the ones that are the best opportunities historically for you to go after. Definitely. And I think this is where, especially to leverage marketing, um, where yep. the lower value prospects, the lower priority ones, those can be maintained with nurture marketing campaigns and social and other engagement. And then certainly if you have extra time and want to put sales time on that, you can. And you can have salespeople making those calls. But if you know there's a lower um, chance of return, why would you mix those all in a bucket together with the high value and the low value? Instead, skim skim the best ones off the top, give those to sales. And then marketing can, with with that one-to-many approach, with that, um, you know, less focused, they can kind of keep those warm and see what bubbles up. And, and some of those low value ones might turn out to be actually um, potential closes and higher value, but it's a lot easier to let them kind of raise their hand and let them reach out and engage than it is to chase all of them. Yep. Definitely. All right. Well, I have really loved this conversation, and I think our listeners will as well. I'm sure that they, they'll have a lot of ideas for what they can do to make their prospecting just a little more blissful. Um, but <laughs> if you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Uh, so there's a couple places. The first thing is I did put together a one-page guide on the reply method. So if you're having a lot of challenges around messaging, like what we hear a lot is, you know, if I send a cold email, what should I say? And if I'm going to follow up, I already said everything in the first email, what should I say? So I put together a one-page guide at blissfulprospecting.com slash Elizabeth. And you can download something there uh, on the reply method and also have a link to the full guide too. I would say that's the best place for free to just check out and say, hey, do I resonate with this approach or not? And if you do find this approach interesting and you want help applying this with your organization or your team or your individual, uh, just get in contact with us through blissfulprospecting.com. There's a ton of resources on there for you to check out and uh, content and things like that. And that's where I would recommend getting a feel for if you're going to resonate with this approach. And, And if you do, reach out. We can help you come up with a prospecting playbook or we can, depending on your business, do some of the prospecting for you. 
and really help you get going with this and and that sort of thing. Wonderful. Well, I have to say, any any URL that's got my name in it immediately is very compelling to me. So I love that. Thank you. <laughs> Blissfulprospecting.com slash Elizabeth. And we will include a link to that in the show notes for anybody who is interested. Um, thank you so much, Jason. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. All right. And thank you for all of our listeners who have listened all the way to the end. Um, as we have talked about so many different resources and links and best practices, you can find the notes of all of those resources in the show notes at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 187. Be sure to tune in next week where I interview the CEO of a company called Nimble. His name is John Ferrara. A great conversation, really interesting company that he has. In the meantime, check out this Friday's inspirational episode where Laura is going to share a great quote that is sure to inspire you. As a reminder, if you have feedback for us, topics, questions you'd like us to address, um, guest recommendations, you can send all of those to us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you are enjoying the show and it's adding value to you, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you are listening today. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. This will help more people find the show, and it lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Happy selling!